Hello, and welcome to Off the Roll. I'm your host, Troy Hirschman. I'm actually in DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, we, we play the uh, Northern Illinois Huskies tonight in men's basketball, so I got my day job rolling today. Um, but today's podcast, we have Ron O'Neill. Ron is a 1969 alumni of Ball State University and started his athletic training career at Northwestern University, so it's kind of ironic that I'm in the Chicagoland area as we post this podcast. Um, and then on to the Philadelphia Eagles, where he spent 11 years, started his NFL career, and then 18 with the New England Patriots. And we talk about all that in the podcast episode today, as well as his uh, innovation and development of uh, taping products for Andover coated products. Uh, it's a great podcast. He's got some great stories, and uh, look, we look forward to hearing from him uh, about his uh, awesome career. So let's go off the roll with Ron O'Neill. Welcome to Off the Roll. Um, I'm your host, Trey Hirschman. I'm here today with Ron O'Neill. Ron is an alumni of the Ball State Athletic Training Education Program, um, longtime athletic trainer in the NFL, and then most recently retired from Andover Coatings, um, for product coatings, um, uh, makers of uh, Power Tape and Power Flex, and, and really innovated a lot of things uh, with that uh product line uh, that we'll probably hopefully get a chance to talk about a little bit. So welcome to Off the Roll, Ron. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Troy. Oh, no, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> so um, so kind of like what I explained to you before, um, uh, we're going to get started by just telling your story, kind of how you got started um, in athlete training, maybe, maybe where you were from and how you ended up at Ball State, um, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Sure. Yeah, my life's journey. Uh, I was born in Clarksburg, West Virginia, lived there uh, for uh, 15 years. And then when I was a junior in high school, my father took a job with Owens, Illinois, uh, in Toledo, Ohio. So moved there. I finished high school in Toledo. Uh, and then as I was finishing my senior year in high school, my father was again, uh, he was transferred down to Muncie, Indiana uh, at, at Owens, Illinois there because uh, he was a, uh, you know, a director and a, he, he did product development and so forth. So off we went to Muncie. Uh, and I didn't know where I was going to go to uh, college. Uh, played baseball in high school, had some offers in Ohio with uh, some, uh, some schools there. But he said, hey, come down here. And, and of course, he left before we moved uh, six or eight months ahead. So he said, so we went down to visit dad. He says, let's go over and, uh, and tour Ball State. And he says, I think you might like it. So I did that and, of course, fell in love with it. And then, of course, uh, we moved to Muncie, Indiana, and uh, I became a Ball State student. And <laughs> that's how, how that happened. Uh, yeah. Then from there, uh, <clears throat> so I started started university but um you know my dream was to be a, a, an architect i really loved that yeah. drawing and, and math and so forth and uh ball state just started the architectural program so i entered ball state studying architecture or planning to be an architect yeah and then uh then what happened 
I was playing intramural basketball and uh, I sprained my ankle. And when I sprained my ankle, it was during, during February, I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't ambulate around campus. So I'd stay at, back then, you had to stay at student house. So I was in there for a week. And then oh, from wow. the second, yeah, from the second floor, uh, you went down to, to physical therapy. Well, Bud Miller and Dick Hoover were the, were the physical therapist and ATCs. Yeah. So then, you know, they were teachers, uh, PTs at the health service in the morning. And then the afternoon, they went over were the ATs and PTs for all the sports programs. Yeah. So that's how that happened. So, you know, three times a day, I'd go down for, for physical therapy. So I got a chance to talk to Dick and Bud. And then by the end of the week, uh, I was so impressed with, you know, what was going on, uh, seeing my pain relief, symptomatic results. And I said, wow, this is, this physical therapy is pretty impressive. Yeah. So I was talking, I was talking to, to Dick more than, uh, than Bud at the time, but Dick said, uh, I said, I really like this. Uh, he said, well, won't you come by? Won't you come by in the spring and observe? So I did that. Uh, fell in love with it. Was impressed. I said, this might be a great, you know, profession. Yeah. Uh, so by the end of my observation period, um, you know, Bud and Dick invited me to come back in the fall and uh, observe more. And if I liked it, then I could become a student trainer. So that's how I changed my major to physical education with emphasis in biology and 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 and, and all the athletic training minor courses back then. Yeah. You know, before there was a major, and that's how my athletic training career started. So, so real quickly, um, were you in any of Bud's classes at that time? So, g- give me a time frame at first. Like, so what? So what? Sixty. 65 to 69. 65 to 69. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I had, I had Bud for, uh, uh, I had Bud for, uh, I think first aid I had, and I had Hoover for anatomy and man, he, he, I mean, both of them were unbelievable uh, educators and both were, uh, brilliant. Bud was, you know, Bud had a PhD. Uh, so he was ATC and PT, physical therapist, but he also had the PhD. But the amazing thing is his PhD from Stanford was in English. Okay. I, I don't know if anybody knows that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, that's the first, yeah, that's the first time I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm almost sure that Bud's PhD from Stanford was in English because you know he wrote uh, he wrote the curriculum. He, yeah. was, he, he was doing that back in well he started that back in the late fifties early sixties. He was writing and, and thinking the curriculum. And then so I had and then I had uh, so Bud was tough. I mean a tremendous educator, uh, really really hard. Uh, all those courses that those guys taught especially they're hard on us being student trainers because the expectation was so high and great. Uh, and of course, Dick Hoover, um, 
in my lifetime, uh, I put him up there with a tremendous speaker, uh, brilliant man, and, and you know he he uh, developed the word entrepreneur. Uh, but in his early days, he was just a he was the consummate athletic trainer. I mean, unbelievable because he was one of Bud's student trainers, and then he. After he graduated, he went on to Ohio State and got his physical therapy and then came back and joined the staff at Ball State. So but who was, I mean, yeah, I know Sindri talks about um, having to like write on one blackboard. There were two oh. blackboards in the classroom and you had to write on one and get all the notes off of one because if you, if you weren't fast enough, you'd come back and erase the, the first one and start all over again. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's. That today would be, um, I don't. I, that would be interesting if you taught a class like that today and saw how the kids would try to keep up. I mean, it would. Well, of course, now what they would do is they take a picture of it on their phone, and then uh, go right. back and go back and <laughs> look at it after that. So. Oh yeah. So so who was who was kind of around? Who were you in classes with? I mean, um, Snowball had talked about in his podcast that. There was like a handful of athletic training students or student student athletic trainers that were in the class, but it was only really the best of the best. A lot of them were like P majors and and teaching majors and stuff. But but who were kind of some of the student athletic trainers that were around when you were there? Um, During that era, um, you know, where when you think about that, uh, there were just a, um, a couple, they, they always had just a couple uh, uh, student student trainers. Yeah. And then it grew as athletic training around the country was growing and everybody was utilizing student trainers as, you know, athletics progressed and you just needed more people because athletics became more involved. Um, but uh, we had, um, uh, there was one guy who was uh, Bud, one of Bud's favorites. His name was, uh, oh, I can't, uh, it was, I think he's, he was like a senior getting ready to graduate when, when I started observing and so forth. But he, he, was, he was Bud's guy. Uh, his, I think his last name was Sharp, and then okay. he, went, he went on. He went on and did uh, uh, an internship with Philadelphia Eagles uh, with Moose Daddy for a couple couple uh, years. Uh, and then we had uh, uh, there's another guy, oh, Stu Miller. Stu okay. Miller was okay. Stu Miller uh, was also uh, a Ball State basketball player. He was a big old guy from, I think around from Kokomo or something. Yeah. So he, he was a athletic trainer and also a, a basketball player. Like myself, I was an athletic trainer and then I also uh, played baseball at Ball State. I was going to ask you a little bit about that. If you were playing, ba were you playing baseball kind of at the same time? Well, what happened when I when I went to Ball State, uh, you know, uh, at that time, uh, when I first started college, I didn't play. And then my sophomore year, I walked on after I observed. 
uh, you know, the people that were playing, I said, you know, I can do this because that's, you know, I wanted to pursue that and had, you know, offers in some of the uh, schools in Ohio. And uh, so I walked on. But before that, once I committed to being an athletic trainer, changed my major, I asked, uh, you know, Bud and Dick, uh, said, I'd like to do this. I think I can play. Uh, so I, I walked on and they allowed me to do that. So, you know, I had the uh, fall and the winter as an AT and then, you know, my late, late winter and spring, then I played baseball. Yeah. yeah. Who was your baseball coach then? Ray Loudon. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. Coach Loudon. <laughs> of course, he was the, the head, the head football coach too. And yeah. probably the mo one of the most successful, uh, you know, coaches in Ball State history in two sports, but he was, uh, you know, I've been around a lot of great coaches, but uh, he's right top of the class. There was nobody that could motivate like him. They called him Big Red. <laughs> Big he was, Red. He was amazing. Scare yeah. you to death. <laughs> could bring fear, could bring fear in your eyes. I mean, yeah. that's how, that's the command he had. Yeah. Uh, our, of course, our baseball team, we're the winningest baseball team in uh, Ball State history as far as our depth in uh, the NCAA tournament. Okay. So How far did you get? One game from Omaha. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Out there on the wall, there's the 1969 Ball State uh, thing out there in center field, right? Center. Yeah. 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 So I, I, fun. yeah. I bet it was. I bet it was. So at, at one point you kind of had to make a decision, like, like what's, what's next basically. I mean, so what was kind of, what were your options once you were done at Ball State and, and what were you thinking? Well, um, see, as I <clears throat> went through my years as undergraduate, um, See my junior year, yeah, my junior year, Bud left uh, and and took the uh, head trainer job at the uh, University of Washington. Okay, okay, and and that was it was like wow. So then, Hoover, <clears throat> Hoover became. Uh, <clears throat> no, I take that back. I got to I got to the timing wrong. Okay, Hoover. Yeah, my junior year, Hoover left and became the head trainer at Northwestern uh, University in the Big Ten in Chicago. Okay, then the very next year, then Bud left to, and went to University of Washington. Okay, then that left, uh, by then, Sindri uh, joined the staff with Dickerson because you had Bud, Hoover, and Dickerson, and then, then they brought on Sindri. And those guys became uh, co-head trainers at that time. Um, any, <laughs> if so, you can remember, is there any, is there any Sindri Dickerson stories from back then when, when you were a student that, that you would want to tell? <laughs> um, could you tell, could you remember to tell? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Well, I loved them both, but uh, yeah. 
Well, let me, it, let me proceed and then you know, I'll be you, you can come back to that. The, the one thing that's kind of been a central theme through this group, you know, with Bradley and Snowball and and um, and and even Ron a little bit, um, there's always been some kind of babysitting story with Dickerson. Um, and, and in fact, I, I talked to Carol. I saw Carol Friday night at a little restaurant. Yeah, just just west I of did here. That, yes. Yeah. And she I said, Carol, there's always this these guys keep talking about the time they had at Coddington. You know, Coddington tells a story about when he got the babysit the girls or something. There's a there's a central theme about babysitting for the Dickersons with all of you guys as students. So <laughs> I did that a couple of times, yes. yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah. You know, and Jim's yeah. Jim's famous joke that, you know, somebody asked asked him if he could kiss the girls good night and he said oh, you stay the hell away from him <laughs> so, oh yes yes <laughs> probably snowball you know <laughs> yeah yeah they were sweethearts good kids yeah um so anyway uh yeah so those guys left so it was interesting as i graduated then i applied for uh at, during that time like 19 eh, 68 or so there that's when uh, curriculums sprung up uh -huh. um, and one of the and then there's one master's program at university of arizona and that was run by or directed by gary delforge and then you know you had uh, under some undergraduate curriculums you had one at uh, one of the first ones at ohio university with al green then you had one at westchester uh, with uh, Phil Donnelly in Pennsylvania. And then you had, uh, eh, it, was, it was like four or five, but yeah. there was one master's program. So I was all set. I applied and got accepted and I was, you know, I was going to go down there and start start my master's at the uh, University of Arizona in August. Well, <clears throat> what happened, and I was still playing semi-pro baseball in the summer because I when I switched my major uh, majors, uh, I had to pick up some other classes, and uh, and then plus being being hurt way back then, I had to drop a couple classes because you know I just missed so much time. So then I had to go to summer school in in, in the summer of '69. Um, as I was doing that, um, there in in July, Dick Hoover's assistant, Tom Oxley, uh, assistant at Northwestern University, Tom Oxley left and became the head trainer at Long Beach State. Um, so there Dick was, uh, he didn't have an assistant. And so he called uh, Dickerson and Sindri and said, hey, and of course I had a great relationship with Dick. And he said, what's O'Neill doing? And um, he said, well, he's, uh, he's planning on going to, you know, University of Arizona to do his master's. He said, well, I'd like to talk to him. Have him give me a call. So my guy just left him, and uh, I think I'd like to hire him. So Sendry called me right away and said, hey, call Hoove. Uh, he wants to talk to you about his assistant job. So I did, and uh, I said, he said, well, come up for an interview, and then, you know, then you can make, make up your mind. So I did that, and of course, you know, I took the position, and the rest is kind of history as far as my career. But that's how my career got started. With yeah, 
Yeah. yeah was, was Dick pretty persuasive in, in trying to get you to abandon the master's idea or, or, or did you have to uh, think about it a little bit? You know, actually, I didn't have to think too much uh, yeah. because it was just a tremendous opportunity. The thing about athletic training back then, Troy, was um, see the Midwest was kind of the, uh, the hub of athletic training. You had, uh, you know, Pinky Newell was our executive director uh, at uh, Purdue. Uh, and then, of course, he and Bud were, uh, he and Bud were roommates. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they were really, really tight. So what Pinky was doing, and then you had Lindsay McLean, who ran the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the membership, and, and, of course, the curriculum way back then. Yeah. Uh, as, as a and then, of course, Bud wrote the curriculum. He was a director of that. And then you had uh, all the people in the big, the big 10 was the big powerhouse of athletics. Right. And, and, and of course, Chicago was the powerhouse of athletic manufacturing and, and all the businesses. Okay. Uh, to be at Northwestern, it was just the perfect spot. And you, all the big 10 people as far as the NATA were on the board of directors, everybody was a player in, in the progression of our, of our, of our profession. Yeah. Uh, so it was a no brainer. Yeah. Wow. And of course working with Dick cause, cause Dick at that time, um, you know, he, he was an entrepreneur and he was a man, he was a man on the move, uh, in, in Chicago, a wheeler and dealer boy. Yeah. Uh, he was just brilliant. He was brilliant. He had so many things, irons in the fire. It was amazing. And he did until the day he died. Yeah. 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 That's the, that's the thing. I, I um, you know, kind of that was what the idea was to get this thing, this podcast going was um, Glenn had told the story one day we were at lunch when he was visiting JD in the hospital. Um, we, he went to lunch with Neil and I, and he tells this story, which I'm going to get on the podcast, but he tells this story that when they were opening clinics, he was in New Mexico and he and Glenn were there needed some artwork for a clinic. And so they ran into this Indian chief and his daughter on the side of the road. And he bought all this in, he bought all this artwork for the clinic and to seal the deal, they had to smoke the peace pipe with peyote. And Glenn tells the story <laughs> that he had to drive back to the, because I wasn't fit to drive back either, but um, yeah. So, so yeah, wheeling and dealing, I think is a great, you know, we're going to have a podcast on that with Glenn about, about all the, the hoove stories of wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Oh <laughs> so, boy. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're endless. I mean, we, we all could tell stories on, on who, boy. Oh my goodness. Uh, every, every day, every day working with Dick. Uh, so I was with him, uh, 69, 69 uh, through, uh, um, uh, through 72. Yeah. And then he left Northwestern. And to become the uh, the uh, educational director uh, at Kramer, yeah, and he did that for a year, and that that bored him out. And then he came back to Chicago, and that's where he started his PT clinics, and then he turned that into a mega million dollar operation. Yeah, I actually have a picture. I think I've sent it to you where I found in one some of um, 
Sindri's old first aiders of a workshop that you guys had up at Northwestern. You're in it. Sindri's in it. And Dick is in it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> right. a group of a group of, of student athlete trainers at Northwestern uh, with that. And and um, yeah, I mean, that's again, I think that's so interesting that um, that you had a you had a eyewitness view of all this stuff that's that as it got started um, with with outpatient PT clinics and and innovations that Dick was doing at Northwestern and then and then right. kind of kind of all that stuff as it started growing um, you had a whole eyewitness view of, of all that so yeah so what sports did you work at Northwestern while you were there where I, I just asked you what what sports what teams you're working with at Northwestern um, um, what I did there, uh, see, back in the day, you know, most most places only had the, the head trainer and, and one assistant uh, yeah. athletic trainer. And then if you're fortunate enough, you, you know, you would have the students. Uh, at Northwestern, you know, uh, you know, they had a very small physical education program, and there's not too many people, and they had no curriculum or anything like that. So what we did with student trainers was uh, would be the work study. So okay. yeah. working work, working with some people on campus, then he would he would get people that uh, were were pre med students, and then turn them into uh, student trainers for them to pick up some extra money. Yeah. Um, but the sports I did, you know, of course, you know, obviously we did football. Right. And then. Uh, you know, back then we just had, you know, football, basketball, uh, track, and cross country, and uh, baseball. Yeah. We didn't have any other sports, and we yeah. didn't have any female sports. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that, that, that that didn't come about yet. Yeah. Uh, so then I did then I did basketball, uh, okay. and then of course uh, then I did baseball, and then of course we both uh, did uh, uh, spring football together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing we've talked about too, is that there were no, at that point in time, like with, with Jay and, and, and Glenn and stuff too, that, that there were no women's sports at that time. So right. uh, what you were doing was, was that, you know, you were, you were mostly, mostly helping out with men's sports and stuff like that. And, and, um, and you just didn't have those opportunities. There might be what Glenn explained was that like there might be if you were at the health center, you might see a club athlete or something in, in a women's sport with that. But yeah, it was very rare to, to do that. So um, so after Northwestern, what was your next opportunity? So I worked, you know, Northwestern there for four and a half years. Once Dick left and, and uh, became the director there with Kramer, uh, then being young and so forth, I, what happened is Northwestern, um, Tom Oxley was uh, very close to the head football coach, Alex Agassi. And once Dick left, of course, Tom had, had only worked at uh, Northwestern all of his life as an assistant, a long time assistant. So, uh, So he inquired and they brought him back as the head trainer. And I worked with him for, uh, uh, for one football season. And then, and then uh, Otho Davis uh, 
went from went from the Baltimore Colts to Philadelphia to be the head head athletic trainer. And at the time, Otho then was his, was the executive director of the NATA. Uh, he followed he followed uh, uh, you know Pinky Newell and um, the guy. Uh, 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 after Pinky, the guy was the uh, head trainer for the St. Louis um, St. Louis Cardinals, um, and then so Otho was looking for an assistant. Um, the thing, the thing about Otho, so from 1973, things things started clicking as far as technology and progression and all the inventions in physical therapy and athletic training, um, strength and conditioning and, and all that. <clears throat> uh, the thing that we had at Northwestern, um, um, see, we were also the, the head and assistant athletic trainers for the college all-star game. Right. Okay. So what we did, and that, that went on for, you know, probably that started way back in the 30s or 40s, whenever. But the college all-stars, which were all your first-round draft choices in, uh, uh, in the NFL and some of the second rounds, they would make up the team of, of the best of the best, and they would come and, and spend the whole month of July training to play the world champion NFL team. That's how the NFL season started. Was wow. The college yeah, and that was that was at you know Chicago Bears you know right their, their their arena so that was all the people that we got exposed to and 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 met it, it was probably one of the most prestigious uh events in 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 all sports uh, during the calendar year but you know I had Terry Bradshaw and and, and all those Franco Harris and all those greats uh, right wow I had, we had uh, uh, Chris Collinsworth, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, now the, the analyst. Yeah. Had him, all those greats. Yeah. Uh, and all those guys through the 70s, you know, really built the NFL to what it is today. So that was a great opportunity. But because we were the athletic trainers and Chicago being the hub of all that innovative progression, uh, with modalities and everything and exercise yeah. equipment. Uh, there was this one company called uh, ISO, ISONET, and they brought in their all their uh, machines for our rehab. Okay. So called ISO, ISOKinetic, um, ISOTONIC, okay? And then I learned, but it wasn't electromechanical like Cybex. Or, or, right. Or uh, what's the one now took over for Cybex? Oh, um, what's your isokinetic? You, it's, yeah, uh, the, the norm. That's the only thing I can think of. Those guys dark. are up in your area <laughs> or New York. They're in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Humac. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have that one. And then, but Biodex, uh, is, Biodex is the yeah, other one. Bi yeah, Biodex. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so Cybex was the first one on the block, but but because we had the isokinetic, iso, iso isonetic, uh, which was a hydraulic, it wasn't electrical, but it still had the same right. concept. So, so I did a master's, I was, did a couple master's courses and I did a research 
project using isotonic, isometric, and isokinetic. And because I had that background with isokinetic, see when Otho became the head trainer at the Eagles, then one of the deals was he has a, he had an unlimited budget. So oh, wow. he was going to do the Cybex and do the whole room with Cybex equipment, but he needed somebody that knew something about isokinetic. <clears throat> so he and <clears throat> he and uh, he and Dick Hoover were best of friends, and he knew Dick was innovative and all that. So the word on the streets, Otho was looking for you know to hire an assistant, and uh, he they told him that O'Neill. You know, Ron O'Neill has background isokinetic. So I got an interview and uh, of course I got the job. Yeah. Because of that, I had a niche that other people didn't have. So it was a, a, a big break and an opportunity for me because of that background. Yeah. yeah. Again, being in the right place at the right time, huh? Correct. And, you know, Ball State, the reputation, because Otho, yeah. Otho was a uh, head trainer at Kent State before he left and went to Duke. And then he left there and went to the Baltimore Colts. So all those guys were, were all, they all grew up together, same age yeah. and so forth. Yeah. So right place at the right time, correct. Yeah. So how long were you with the Eagles? I was with the Eagles for, uh, <clears throat> for 11 years. So I was uh, 73 to 84. And of course, uh, the opportunity there with Otho being executive director and the Eagles, uh, you know, our owner, he had an unlimited, but he didn't even have a budget. He could buy whatever he wanted. So uh, our facility was at the time one of the larger in the country. Yeah. And we had every state of the art uh, equipment that money could buy. Well, if it was new, we got it. Wow. So to have, to have all that, all the resources at your back and call and right at your fingertips was really something because working with Otho, I mean, every day was an event. You know, it, it was, every day was exciting. So, you know, 11 years and, you know, we had threw in some great success there with Dick Vermeil. Yeah. Had a Super Bowl, a lot of playoff years. <clears throat> and then, um, the uh, New England Patriots, uh, their longtime trainer, you know, left, and the the general managers of of the New England Pat New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles were really really close, and and the own and the, the owners were too. So we were having all that success and uh, because of the facility we had and the things we were doing, um, you know, our deal developed a reputation. So they called and asked if I uh, could interview because uh, New England at the time was very uh, uh, antiquated, you know, very behind the times. Right. Uh, they really didn't have much there. Uh, so they wanted to duplicate what the, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles were doing because of the reputation that it uh, had established. So I got the interview and they gave me an unlimited budget and I took the position. It was an offer I couldn't refuse. I, so I want to go I, back before you get started on that. 
I want to go back and revisit a little bit um, in your time with the Eagles. I think one of the things that was really that that has that was really cool, probably through your time and then beyond a little bit, um, because Otho obviously valued education and educating young athletic trainers. But you, the the student intern program that was that that was there when you were there and then beyond um, has developed some pretty outstanding athletic trainers. Not, not me. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was just lucky to be around, but, uh, but I mean, can you remember some of those kids that w- went through that program when you were there? Oh my goodness. Um, <clears throat> see the way it started, that was one of the deals that, uh, uh, for Otho to take the job, uh, was to have, um, uh, 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 a summer intern and a, a, a seasonal, uh, uh, a seasonal assistant. Yeah. So, so we always had a, a six month assistant and then for training camp, it started out that he would have five student trainers and then, um, and he, and he, and these student trainers were selected from all of his friends around the country. We had people from all over. So that grew from five to six to eight to 10. And then of course I had left in 84. And then I think at one time he had 20. And then, oh yeah, it was crazy. And then he also probably had four or five seasonal interns. Yeah. But through all my years, then I did the same program at at New England. And, uh, you know, I started out with uh, a seasonal intern six months assistant and then I started out with six and then by the time I ended in 2002 um, I had uh, uh, six during the season and then we had you know 10 students during during the summer so um, but 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 then I started traveling with Andover uh, with you know the educational program and the taping uh, and so I got to go to all these universities where all these uh, former student yeah. trainers you know, <laughs> were. And it's amazing because typically when, uh, when we'd hire these people, you know, we, like we'd call, say, call Neil, say, Neil, you have any great one? Uh, another friend, do you have a great one? Do you, you know, around the country. Or if somebody had a great student, uh, then they would, then they would call and say, hey, I really have a great one. And, it, and they didn't call if he didn't have a great one because typically the people that O hired and I hired were, were the best of the best. So there's so many great ones. I mean, I, between Philly and, and New England, uh, I think I had 400 yeah. interns. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge legacy. And I don't think, I mean, that's, that's a credit to you and, and especially Otho, but, um, yeah, but, 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 but you too, I mean, you, you've influenced, that's the one thing that it, here it is almost 30 years. And I still stay in contact with the majority of interns that I went through with in, in 91. And, and, yeah. you know, we were from all over the country, like you said, we were from all over the country and, yeah. um, and we still talk about stuff. I mean, especially when the Eagles were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, we're we're going back and forth and posting pictures on that Facebook website and stuff. And and like, you know, 
just just enjoying the time together but but you know even though we may have moved on to different things um in our own lives um maybe not involved with athletic training but um or I'll get a text every now and then or something. I get hit up like, Hey, I saw you on TV tonight. You look, you look great. Right. Or you look like a bum or whatever, you know, we, we, <laughs> we still have fun with each other because of that. Yeah. And, and that had, had that experience not been available. Um, there's no way that, that we could have kept in contact or we wouldn't have had the chance to meet somebody from California. My roommate was from California um, uh-huh. I had guys that were from Virginia and Boston and, sure. and, um, and then of course I was Chuck Demers around when you were there. Was he still helping no, out? He, he, no, he, he, uh, Oh, brought him in later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chuck's stories were just amazing too. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, from where he legendary. Yeah. Great yeah I mean, yeah. I think about that, like the opportunity to interact with somebody like that um wouldn't have been available either and and so um it really is pretty cool that you guys develop that and stuff so again as you get to, as you get to new england you're trying to set this up a little bit um who do you bring as your assistant into new england the first guy i brought was uh, <clears throat> uh <clears throat> randy dugas okay. okay randy dugas was from uh uh, uh, Lamar University in Texas, and he he was a uh, student trainer. Uh, um, w- the year before, the year before I, w- with the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. So he graduated. He was a little bit older, and uh, <clears throat> cause typically most of these people were juniors, going to be seniors, and then we would pick the. Uh, the best of the class to come back the next year as a six month assistant, if they would, if they chose to. Uh, so he, he was really great. And once I got to New England job, then, um, you know, I called him and asked him if he'd be interested to, uh, in becoming my six month. And he says, Oh, absolutely. So the thing, the thing great about it with Randy, was he knew the the eagle system so he knew exactly exactly everything that i wanted to do just like we did with the eagles Uh, so that made my first year really very easy uh, because i uh, jim plemer was the assistant trainer with new england and i chose to retain him which is you know one of my uh, smartest moves because he's a brilliant guy he's now the head He's been a long time head athletic trainer at uh, 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 UCAL Irvine. Uh, okay. So he was an ATCPT and uh, he's from uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. He's a cheese head, but uh, <laughs> really, really smart. He was young. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of mentored him along into the, you know, the uh, philosophy of what we did in, in Philadelphia. And then, that whole progression because, you know, I brought in the isokinetic, I brought in all the modalities, um, you know, all the state of the art stuff that, that they didn't have. Um, so it was a great learning thing for him as well. But 
And then I still, I just talked to Randy Dugas last week. Uh, wow. People like stayed in touch, like you said. And, you know, he still has friends up here. And when he comes to visit, he'll he'll drop in for a few hours. And uh, so there's so many people like that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to Philadelphia just one last time. But, but um, um, you know, you talked about the room um, a little bit how big it was and, and the space that you had comparative to what a lot of um, um, teams had at that time. But um, right. my, my memories of that room was like, it was, it was like a museum and you had to oh. be around when Otho was bringing that stuff in. I mean, did, were you like, what in the world is going on here? Well, see, when I got there again, uh, you know, Moose, Moose Daddy, who's a longtime trainer there, was yeah. uh, ATCPT. He's really a brilliant man. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he then once he he retired, and then he developed the the pro knee sleeves and all the knee. Right. Products, yeah. And then turned that into a million dollar, multi mega million dollar production. But anyway, uh, so we started with that, and Siotho uh, <clears throat> was uh, he was a collector. Uh, he, he was like a rat pack, you know, yeah. um, but something that we did uh, uh, at, the, at the time, you didn't have that many people living in the area in the off season. You didn't have yeah. conditions and all that. Uh, but the barn, the barn board came from, we had the off season basketball program and we went way up in Northern Pennsylvania and uh the community you know that uh, yeah they have dinner and we stayed we stayed all night at uh, uh, uh somebody's resort and so forth and then drove back the next day but but during that time he saw this barn and he talked to the guy that owned it and he goes what are you gonna do with that, uh, that, that old barn all the barn wood so uh he said nah, it's just gonna probably rot and things can i have it so they put all that barn board, and because they loved Otho, put it in their truck and brought it down to Vet Stadium. Oh wow! And then he, and then he had all the the Vet uh, Stadium uh, grounds crew, the carpenters and everything, to maintain yeah. the maintain the, the 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 city recreation. They would come in after work and do all the all the. Oh my uh, goodness! All the uh, 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 all the barn board. And, and decorate, yeah. yeah. But yeah, and then you take, you know, remember going down the center, you had all those helmets. Yeah. And it was like a museum. Uh, those helmets went back to early 1900s, if, if you remember the fold up helmets and the leather. Yeah, helmets. I mean, I, yeah. I just, I had seen some pictures, you know, from, from, um, from other interns that had, from Ball State had been there before, uh, before I left. And, and, um, but I didn't realize, all the stuff that was in there um, until oh, I walked in. On the wall. Yeah. All yeah. those antiques the, um, uh, that he got from Texas, you know, his, yeah. you know down, down home. I don't know if you can see behind me. I'm, I'm going to tilt this a little bit. I know you can't, this is not great for a podcast, but you can see a little bit. I'm pointing at it. I actually have a barber's chair in my basement and a little bit of that. Otho was a little bit of that inspiration because those guys would go sit in that art. 
he would sit in it and take a nap. We'd have players that would go in there and sit in that thing and lean that thing back and take a nap in it. Um, he they that was like the hit thing was the barber's chair. Yeah, and and then yeah. the 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 slot machine. I, mean, I don't know if that was there when you were there, but um, gosh, we probably I probably dumped a hundred dollars of per diem money in that stupid slot machine. <laughs> and then that one of the, that one day, like our 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 draft our rookie offensive lineman. Ah, shoot. Hang on a minute. Um, that the first round draft pick walks in there one day, drops, drops a quarter in there, pulls the lever. After we all of us interns had been in there, you know, putting money in this thing for like two weeks straight, he comes in and hits the thing and just empties out in front of him. And I mean, we all, <laughs> we were all looking at each other like, this is the million dollar baby right here. And we've been putting money in this. We're getting 90 bucks a week. And this guy just walks out with all of our money. <laughs> So, and oh was just laughing he thought it was the most oh. he, he goes he goes well boys you can start filling up again <laughs> ah but oh then but, you remember you had all those fish tanks and everything oh yeah <laughs> and then hey when you went there had he built the dormer back behind the office mm-hmm. and in the kitchen and everything yeah 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 he expanded that after i left because because we had that uh, initially, and um, the six-month people would live there. Uh, yeah, and I'd heard those stories too about the the well. When I the year I got there, we didn't get a chance to stay there because um, the fire marshal had come through and found uh, found the 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 room, you know, the sleeping room, and said no more because there's only one way in, one way out, and if there was a fire in here, you guys would all die. And um, I didn't get that experience. I had to go stay at a Hilton somewhere in New Jersey. <laughs> so I guess, it, okay. I guess, you know, well, I missed out on that experience, but I mean, I got, I got to stay in a nicer place and, and uh, um, yeah, you but, didn't miss out. You, you didn't miss anything. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but sleep down there with the damn, with the stadium rats, man. Oh yeah. That's what they <laughs> talked about is every now and then you, you would hear something moving around in there and, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it was well, there. crazy. Yeah. Um, so you're in new England. Um, you're kind of, yeah. you're, you're, how long are you in new England for? Uh, 20 years. 20 years. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, um, so from 84 until, uh, uh, 2002, very fortunate had, uh, you know, had three more Super Bowls and one world championship. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great, great run. Um, in in that aspect, one of the things that, um, I want to ask about, because I think that that um, I don't. I think that people some of the, some of the audience would know this. Some of the audience would not. But um, but um, you know, in talking with your interns, you know, that I knew from Ball State and stuff, one of the things they always talked about was your innovation and your creativity to keep people on the field. Um, and and I saw some of that when you would come visit Ball State. Um, yeah, yeah. In particular, one crazy ankle brace that kept Joey Lynch from to keep him playing. I mean, yeah, he would not have played otherwise um, if had it not been for that ankle brace. But um, talk to me a little bit about is that is that did that something is that something that came from 
you know, your desire to be an architect. And so you had the, uh, enough cre creativity to, Actually, to say, I'm going to yeah. translate this into something else as in what I'm doing now. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's funny you say that because that's where it all came from, the design. And um, I was just very fortunate uh, to be around people that were, were innovative and stimulating. And, uh, you know, both, you know, Dick and, and Otho would, have, would allow me to, uh, uh, I mean, they were innovative too with what they, right. the resources they had. But then when resources grew even more with technology and, and raw materials, uh, then that's when athletic training and prevention post-acute care really took off. But before I left uh, uh, Philadelphia, one of the things that uh, happened with me that got me started with, with doing all these braces and various innovative things uh, to, to help people play and not get re-injured, uh, you know, like the ankle brace. But uh, we had a uh, <clears throat> uh, an offensive guard in Philadelphia, Wade Key from Texas, good old boy. He had one, one year left to play uh, and he was going to retire, but he was good. And we were starting to win. He wouldn't be part of it. When training camp, <clears throat> he had a grade three uh, uh, ankle and he, he ruptured, you know, his, his, his whole lateral complex. So he said, uh, we cast him up and all that. And Otho says, you're going to play this year. And you think back then we didn't have braces. You know, it didn't exist. Uh, so as I was rehabbing and treating this guy and bringing him back, and Doc said, you know, if you can stabilize it, he can play. It's not going to hurt anything. Then we can fix it later if it doesn't scar in. So I was, I was doing a lot of running back then. And I thought, okay. And he had an interesting foot type. And I thought, okay, if we can – we can take, so we did have orthoplast. So I took orthoplast and ran it underneath, but I thought, okay, to real, and he had a, uh, a pace cave type of foot. So he was already inverted, you know, it was a high right. arch and all that, very susceptible. And I thought, okay, if we can take an orthotic and then put an orthosis attached to it, keep him in neutral and then run up the sides and so he doesn't roll his ankle. So just with that, you know, I kept doing Ophos and what the hell are you doing? I said, it's going work. Uh, so there was, an, there was a, a podiatrist um, that uh, we got to make the, uh, you know, the orthotic. Right. And then the podiatrist knew of, of a, uh, a brace guy and he said who was just young and uh and, and, and uh innovative yeah with polypropylene polyurethane and all that so we talked with him and i told him this is what this is what we like to do so the first inversion uh ankle brace came into being and that's where it all started and then when i went to new england uh, i found some people uh, up here that were unbelievable. Um, 
and then, you know, for 20 years, they, they did all the ankle, I did the toe, the wrist, the shoulder, uh, you name it, my knee, uh, hamstring stuff, um, my thumb, uh, TFCC bracing, uh, elbow. Um, so it was a lot of fun. But, you know, like one time we had our first run draft choice, uh, uh, Irving Fryer from Nebraska. You know, he came in, he was the first pick in the draft. And first week in training camp, he dislocated his shoulder. And he goes, I mean, you know, we were really getting good then. And he goes, I'm playing. Uh, you know, I'm not sitting out here, you know, for six, eight, 12 weeks on a dislocated shoulder, which a lot of people did that. So that's where we developed his shoulder brace. And he played in two weeks. And he just continued to get better. The, the shoulder brace, the subluxing shoulder dislocation. Yeah. Incredible because it was a three axle brace. Uh, and I used it all through the years. If somebody had a dislocation or subluxation, we just put them in that. And, and they didn't, they didn't, you know, they would slide a little bit, but they never did right. um, uh, re-dislocated. And then they, they went on and healed. So, so yeah. a lot of things like that. And then, of course, a lot of taping techniques and so forth. Yeah, yeah I think, I think, yeah, your biggest influence on me personally was the whole high ankle sprain. Um, when, when I've talked to you, I don't know, probably, mm, it's probably getting, getting close to 10 years when you came to Ball State that time and and, right. um, and just blew my mind on how to treat a high ankle sprain. I had kind of had it in my mind, but I couldn't put it together. And you came in and said, this is the reason why you need to do X, Y, and Z on a, on a high ankle sprain. It's really a tib-fib sprain that, um, that you got to stabilize. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, it saved a lot, probably – in my 15 years, it's, I've only had one kid that I couldn't get back. And I, and I think it was because mostly he just didn't want to play um, yeah. anymore. Um, but, but I used that a lot and got guys back a lot quicker. And, and, you know, it's kind of the, the thing that I always thought about with you is I heard Bill Polian say one time that the only ability that matters is availability. And um that that was that's when he would say that I would think of you because you were doing that way before he was saying that. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, that was, that was the big thing is that, um, and then I would try to teach that to our students, you know, that you're sitting there, you don't want to fumble around with this high ankle sprain issue and prolong it. Um, when I mean, you can try to find ways to safely get them back in and protect them and, and uh, right. um, yeah. That's so that's translated on too, but um, so so you start talk to me a little bit about some of the interns you had at New England. I mean, you've obviously had quite a few interns, but a lot of Ball State interns too. Um, uh, with I that, have, yeah. whenever I could get Ball State intern, uh, uh, that was a slam dunk, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, but, you know, just like, you know, your experience in Philadelphia, we had, you know, I've had interns from almost every state in the union. Um, I can't remember all the names or just too many of them, but, uh, right. but uh, what I was able to do in, in New England as the years went on, um, we had, they had a bunch of curriculum schools here in uh, 
in you know Boston. So you have Bridgewater State University, you had the Boston University had big time program, uh, and a university in New Hampshire. Uh, there were a lot of schools that had you know had programs. Uh, Ithaca. So uh, make it convenient uh, and add to the staff. See if I had if I had a uh, with the universities with with their uh, really uh, really good students or you know uh, then we would make an arrangement where they would work training camp but rather than work, work their sports during during the year then their director would allow them to do an internship with me so I had them all year long Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that was good. Very innovative there. And I, I always had, you know, five or six people that when they were done with the classes, then they'd come out in the afternoon and, and, and work in my program. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, good. That... And then they would work. Then they would work game day. And then also they were allowed to travel. So, so there really, it was like, that was almost like a, a clinical rotation with an NFL team without interning, basically. Yeah, I mean, correct. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, well, well stated, yes. So that worked, that worked great. And I did that for probably the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that would be really cool. I mean, just the fact that you had an opportunity that, obviously selective opportunity, you know, and have to be the best, yes. the best, again, but um, yeah to have that option to go out there and do that and see that and spend time with you and your staff. I mean, that was, that was phenomenal. So, um, um, so at the end of your tenure with the Patriots, um, what were you doing at that point in time that um, uh, when that time came about, what was your next steps? Well, uh, then after that, um, uh, I was going to work with the craft group to put in a medical facility at Gillette Stadium. Okay. And, you know, worked on that for uh, about a year and a half. And, and then I realized that, and they were building a new stadium, and I realized that this this wasn't going to hit. Yeah. Yeah. It was down the road. And then yeah. it, it, it down the road, it took about another 10 years for that to uh, happen because now they have the you know the whole complex over there and so forth and surgery center and etc and they have, they have a shopping mall all around the stadium and all that right but so knowing that I always had a connection with uh, you know uh, Andover Coda products then became Andover Healthcare uh, because in 1995 I helped uh, Andover developed Power Flex. Yeah. Okay. okay. There, up to that time, there was no premier cohesive bandage. The only thing we had was just trainers cloth tape. You know, yeah. you, had, you had J and J, and you know a couple other companies that they do tape and little elasticon things like that. So, the owner of uh, uh, Andover. You know, I always knew him because they had exhibited the meetings and all that with these all these tape products. But he developed this cohesive, 
power flex for sports. And he didn't know where it fit in. So he called and said, Ron, I want you to take a look at something. So I, he said, where would you use this? So, you know, I dabble with it and so forth. And I said, well, I think this is a great thing to replace under wrap. And then it also has a multi other purposes, uh, you know, for in, in sports. Yeah. And so then I developed with PowerFlex, the PowerFlex taping system. Uh, and then after, you know, I stopped working as, you know, athletic trainer, then he said, well, won't you take this and go out to teach it? So from uh, 2003 until 2000, uh, until uh, 2020. Yeah, 2020. Uh, yeah, 2020, I did that. Uh, so I traveled. So I'd go to, you know, as you know, I'd yeah. go in and, you know, usually within an hour, hour and a half, teach as much taping techniques as I can with, with our taping system. Uh, so I've been fortunate to visit just about every university in the country, uh, division one, two, three, all pro teams, all of Canada. And then also we did teaching in Europe, uh, taught classes there. So it, again, it was, it was another great uh, career, second career. Yeah. Yeah. With a, with a tremendous product in my opinion. Um, oh yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing is, um, um, it's still, and again, it still blows me away that um, we have we have younger people that are still they're taping with pre wrap and cloth tape, and and I still use some cloth. I use some cloth tape in my heel locks and stuff like that. But um, I mean, all my all my 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 foundation of my tape job is all the Power Flex Power Tape system, yeah. and and. Um, and it's funny because like we have new freshmen that come in every year and, and they get their ankles taped and they're like, this stuff is different. I go, this stuff is better. <laughs> You're better protected with this stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah. and, and it, after a while, they, somebody comes in and tapes them with a pre-wrapper and cloth tape. And it's like, they, they're like, I, this isn't good enough. You know, they don't, they don't like it. Um, they want to, right. they want the other stuff. And, and um, yeah. um, it, it, it is, it, to me, it's just, it's just a, a superior product. And, and um, it, it's, it's, I mean, I know it's caught on in, in some places and stuff, but it, it's funny. We've had some turnover in our staff and, and they, they ask us like, why do we have all this stuff? And I go, because it's better. <laughs> and number one, our, our, one of our greatest alumni happens to represent this company or in some way, shape or form represent it. So yeah, we got it. But, um, but I, I've, I've converted some people over with that. I know our volleyball athlete trainer before Andrea left, um, I talked to her extensively about why you should use this. And, and, and so she's now back in St. Louis and, and hopefully using it a little bit with that too. So, um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, PowerFlex has, and, and now they've kind of expanded into not only the human healthcare market, but I mean, I was at a farm store the other day and, going through the vet aisle and there's there's power flex for horses you know oh absolutely um, yeah on this had that for, for a long time yeah 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 the, uh, the animal health is uh is another part of 
see, we have the, the medical side, sports med, and uh, right. animal health worldwide, yeah. Uh, That's... But yeah, there's there's nothing that compares, as you know. I mean, you know, you take Underwrap, which is tears like paper and has zero strength, and it's just a skin protector, basically. And whereas Powerflex has 23 pounds as your, your first layer base, and then you add on whatever type of tape, there's no comparison. So... So that was a that was a fun 18 years, and I mean, you can imagine how many, uh, you know, when I've been to almost every university in the United States, <laughs> all the you know, great people and uh, many, yeah, the brotherhood of athletic training is uh, is special. Yeah, uh, the, the you know the, the sincerity and welcoming welcoming of uh, um, you know having 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 me come in and. And teach the staff and so forth. Uh, so uh, we, it's, it, it, and it, yeah, it is. It, it it always has been a lot of fun <laughs> with that being able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna get ready to kind of start wrapping this up a little bit because we've had a great yeah. conversation and stuff. But um, one of the questions that that um, um, or there's actually two different questions I've been asking people. But um, in in your case, um, I'm gonna ask this one. If you were talking to a group of young athletic trainers today, um, what what is that one piece of advice that you would give them um, as they would be starting their careers? You know, as I as I traveled, uh, you know, to all the universities uh, and, and sports teams, you know, for the eighteen years. It's just amazing, you know, uh, to observe and talk to all these people, and and be part of the whole progression of our, uh, uh, of, you know, our, or of our uh, our vocation. Yeah, you know, the athletic training society. But uh, what I have always told people is. Okay, let's say everybody's smart, right? Right. Okay, and and, uh, and I talked to a lot of head athletic trainers, and the thing, the thing that I observe is if you you have so many uh, uh, so many people on a staff, some people have. Uh, 10, 12, 15 people, six, eight, 10, what have you, uh, depending on the size of the school and all that. But the thing that I always tell people is to get is to get great at everything. Our, our, our profession is prevention, treatment, and rehabilitation. These three umbrellas have so many different segments um, within get as great as you can on everything uh, because the competition is fierce but the thing I always tell them is get great at everything but get really good at one thing have a niche that separates you from your competition and then if you have this great niche somebody out there is going to recognize that and they want that niche in their on their staff i think that's that's a, the best piece of advice that i that i can give 
because I had the niche and what yeah. that niche did for my career. Yeah, I was going to say that, versus the competition. Yeah, you're, you're definitely backing that up um, with your with your experience <laughs> that advice because it did. It's it really it really did um, set you on a, on a pathway of some tremendous experiences in this profession yeah. and, and the amount Very of people cool. that you've influenced and taught and stuff too. I mean, that's, um, yeah. that's some great advice, I think in that, in that capacity. Yeah. Well, listen, it, it's been great. Um, you have anything else you think you might want to, I mean, you, you don't have a Dickerson Sindri story. I already asked you that one. That's the one thing I <laughs> ask about too, you know? Um, but, um, but, uh, cause I know that, yeah. that, um, the only thing I can say is um, in regard to all four of my mentors and educators, and when you talk about, um, you know, Bud, Bud is Bud. Uh, you know, he was, he was the father for us all. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Dick was, you know, a big mentor for me. And then, of course, you know, Ron and, and, and Jim both when I was a student and so forth. But uh, all four of those people, as, as you well know, just greatest people on the planet. What they have done for, for so many of us. Uh, and we're, we're all blessed in having them as our mentors and, and, and friends and, and great friends forever for a lifetime. Yeah, that's definitely the one thing that, um, I, you know, you try to explain to people um, Particularly if they ask about the Ring of Honor, you know that's the one thing I try to explain to people. Like, like you don't understand, and I can try to explain it to you, but the amount of of these were real people that that you you would talk to and sit down and have a conversation with um, that were generally concerned with where you were going in your career, and if you if you had that opportunity to do that. uh, you were a much better person for it. And that's kind of what was the inspiration for what we're doing today was to be able to sit down and then people hear these stories and, and, and understand, but, but maybe hear a little something that, Hey, this can be something that I can do wherever I'm at and, um, right. and try to try to develop those, keep that relationship going. Cause to me, athlete training is about that. It's about people and relationships and, and, and healthcare, that we do along the way, but those relationships are really what connect us to, to our, to our, you know, our patient population, our coaches, our parents, or, you know, sure. whatever it is that you're doing um, with that. And, and that's why I think this make this, why it's one of the greatest professions out there is because um, it seems like healthcare sometimes is uh, a little bit disconnected at times. I mean, it's, it's funny <laughs> when I talk to kids, I'm like, you went and saw the doctor. Do you, do you, who, who'd you see? And they go, I don't remember. And I went, well, <laughs> maybe they're a great physician, but they're not a great, they're not a great connector. And if they're taking right. care of you, you need to remember names and, and that type of thing. And, and um, because they're taking care of you or taking care of your mom or whatever. And, and uh, right. hopefully, yeah. hopefully that somebody said, well, I saw an athlete trainer and their name was so-and-so um, Ron O'Neill, Troy Hirschman, whatever. Um, they would make that connect first and then provide healthcare uh, beyond that. So, but, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a great, great talk. And, um, I think a lot of people will have some fun with this, just like they've had fun with the other ones. And, and, um, 
and we'll go from there. So uh, we're going. Great idea. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. So we're just hanging on a minute and um, let me make sure this gets started downloading. Um, but so we just uh, want to thank Ron for coming on uh, on Off the Roll. Take care. I want to thank Ron for coming on the podcast today. It was a great podcast and I enjoyed my time talking to him. Um, hopefully there, there's some great tidbits of some, some knowledge and some mentorship and some advice in this podcast, uh, especially from uh, what he has done from the development of athletic training products. Um, so give us some feedback uh, on uh on uh, our email address, which is off the roll podcast at gmail.com, or you hit me up on my uh, personal Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Everybody have a great day and go Cardinals tonight.